0: Are you trying to tell me, Joe, that I shouldn't like this film as much as I do? You're not the boss of me. <laughs> <laughs> Dodge this. I am the father. Oh. I'm here on a mission of mercy. You shall not pass! There's only one God, man, and I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. What's oh, for a smile? face I, I want the truth you can't handle the truth open the pod bay doors huh? i'm sorry dave i'm afraid i can't do that welcome
1: to the real world
0: this is episode 124 of the movie bite podcast where we talk about movies movie reviews movie news trailers and more this episode is being converted to digital bits and ready to stream to you on Wednesday, January the 28th, 2015. I'm TJ, your host, and joining me today is a bear from darkest Peru. His regular name cannot be pronounced, but his English name is Joe Darnell. How are you, Joe?
1: Oh, I'm doing wonderful, sir. I was hoping that I could be like Mr. Paul, or better yet, I, I was okay with Mr. Brown. I would have been happy with Mr. Brown.
0: Well, I could. You could have been Pestuzo.
1: Do they even have bears in Peru?
0: I really have no idea. I did not do that much research for this show. Ah, uh, and
1: apparently. I I think that little like makeshift like uh, house up in the tree was something that probably, what was his name, Mister Fredrickson, Carl Fredrickson made with the Boy Scout on their way to go like find his house and bring it back to the world. You know, yeah, yeah. I, I think that this they were hijacking some Pixar stuff here.
0: Yeah, you're you're just sort of mixing up your uh, your franchises here. I think, Joe. Sorry,
1: I'm I'm drinking. I'm high on the coffee. I'm drinking <laughs> some coffee right now. I'm pumped, I'm amped.
0: You've been, uh, I I feel a little betrayed. You like started a podcast without me about coffee and dude, welcome back. Where have you been? You weren't even here last week.
1: Sorry, TJ. I have been seeing some other podcast.
0: (laughs) I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do about that. Sounds, it sounds a little bit uh, disturbing.
1: Actually, it was last Wednesday that it was last Wednesday, right? It it just like all the work felt.
0: Everything pieces. fell apart. I, I, you yeah, were you started texting yeah. me going, "I got this thing and this project came up and it's you know it's really important and I got to do it." And then you started texting me frantically going, "My internet's gone out and I don't know what to do." And oh, you it were was one of those day. days.
1: Yeah. Literally, the internet died in my yard and I had to bury it. <laughs> and then I had to summon the the powers of the phoenix to resurrect it. And um, Comcast just wasn't just wasn't working.
0: Well, Comcast. I mean, you said enough right there. Mm-hmm. I, I had a I had a jolly good time as they might say in in uh over across the pond. I had a jolly good time with uh Mr. J.R. Forresteros. So it was all good.
1: That turned out really well. I think I listened to it the day before yesterday.
0: Oh, and, you were late.
1: Uh, yeah, that guy is pretty awesome. Well, I had like, you know, a hundred podcasts to catch up on. You know, uh, I, I have about a hundred podcasts every couple of days that I, I listen to.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of podcasts, well, no, that that transition doesn't work. I'm not as, I'm not good at these transitions, Joe. I, I do want to talk about some film news, though. Well,
1: okay. Well, speaking of podcasts, TJ, have you heard about this movie?
0: Uh this movie. What movie would that yeah, be, Joe?
1: Yeah. Disney is talking about uh, a Indiana Jones reboot.
0: Now, what do you, what do you think about this, Joe? I guess I guess to some extent it was inevitable, you know, because Disney's <laughs> acquired the rights, you know.
1: I, I love it that you already got the thumbnail where his face has been photoshopped in over Indiana Jones. Yes,
0: Chris Pratt, by the way. So, <laughs> so the rumor the rumor here is that Disney would like to cast Chris Pratt as the Indiana Jones character in a in a reboot. Uh, And this is from Angie Han over at Slash Film, who acquired the image. She says that uh, Deadline cautions that nothing has been finalized. That would be the originating site for this rumor. But the studio's plans for Indiana Jones are still in the very early stages. However, they've heard that the studio wants to build a new Indiana Jones franchise around Pratt. He'd be playing the same swashbuckling archaeologist character portrayed by Harrison Ford in the original films.
1: Okay, the primary problems. Number one... Harrison Ford, you yes. know, he already iconically blew everything out of the water.
0: But mightn't you say the same thing about uh, Kirk and William Shatner or, you know, and anything, any reboot really?
1: I would not be putting, um, I would not be putting Indiana Jones and Captain Kirk on the same level. <laughs> you wouldn't? <laughs> no. No, you Indiana trailer. Jones is of a better world, a better time, a better no. place.
0: Nope. Mm-mm. I, I refuse to acknowledge such uh, nonsense.
1: Okay. Let's put it this way Harrison Ford versus William Shatner.
0: Uh, William Enough Shatner. Both Drop, Mike. Walk away. Both of them in their prime. William Shatner walks away from that fight.
1: Oh. <laughs> oh, you're crazy. Nope. Uh, you're some kind of crazy <laughs> I, I have to disagree Indiana Jones, Harrison Ford they go together like butter on bread you just don't easily replace the Ford the other problem is that Indiana Jones is a historical character mm-hmm. so how many more re- relics can Indiana Jones salvage from the paws of the greedy Nazis that's going to be a problem
0: well, now, I mean, according he, to Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, there's a lot of alien artifacts he might be able to get a hold of.
1: Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that we all – we hmm. uh, maybe King, we need a movie where he hunts down the lost soul of George Lucas. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Joe, I think the proper response to what I said was Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, what's that?
1: <laughs> <sighs>
0: oh my well, I don't know. Um, well, and
1: then there there was also, what was his name? Shalaba. I mean, like, obviously he was supposed to be Indiana Jones' replacement.
0: And I think yeah, that, that, that was
1: George Lucas' intent no. at one time. That's
0: not going to Oh, happen. that's all kinds
1: of crazy wrong as well. The only thing that's good about this idea, okay, seriously, like, I'm not crazy about continuing the franchise because Indiana Jones's original trilogy tidies it up so well, people. There's only one way I can see that they could actually further the franchise as it was originally created. You go back and you tell like stories of young Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. But you I mean like yes, I know that Lucasfilm already did that, but they did a poor job of it. They were too boring, they were too long, and they weren't interesting. They were they were raw boredom. And I saw some of them, yes, incredibly well made. With all the good standards of George Lucas um, filmmaking in the old days, but they were missing entertainment value, and yet yeah. they were completely made-up stories. Okay, so then there's that. They're I think you, the way you salvage the uh, the franchise is you reboot it and you give him young Indiana Jones. But the problem here is – Chris Pratt isn't young enough to be young Indiana Jones.
0: He'd be about the same Indiana Jones that we saw when Harrison Ford played him when the only the only three Indiana Jones films to be made came out. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I mean that's about the right age, right? Chris Pratt would be portraying him as he – at the age that he was back in those days.
1: Yeah, but we also have his part in the upcoming Jurassic Park, and doesn't he basically play Indiana Jones fighting
0: dinosaurs? <laughs> Well, I mean, it's his audition for the, for the role, basically. It's what it seems to be. Yeah. Of late, I I don't think I'm in favor of this. I I uh, I kidded a little bit on on the twitters with uh, with Chad uh, Hopkins uh, at Chadada, uh, and you know I said, well, would wouldn't you you know, or or I, you know, it might have been Corey. Now that I think about it, I I get confused about who I tweet with. Anyway, um, whatever it was, I said, well, would you wouldn't you be okay basically with any part that that Chris Pratt played? And uh, and he's like, well, yeah, sure. Um, and but I think, all kidding aside, like I, I just don't think this is a good idea. I, I don't think they're going to be able to capture the magic. I don't think that there's more stories to tell here. Um, there, there's you know, when a lot of times when there's a reboot, you're like, man, there's more stories to tell here. I hope they do a good job. This is like, I don't know what they'll. I mean, I don't know. I don't get what the draw is here.
1: I, uh, and I imagine they'll cherry pick from all the other genre tropes. They'll have a time travel film. They'll have a sea voyage film.
0: Yeah. I I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not interested, but you know, well, who speaking I, of films, you, so you know, who, who I interested am today? interested in Joe. <laughs> I am interested in Joss Whedon, uh, as a filmmaker, as you know, he makes some fine films and, uh, he talked a little bit about Avengers infinity war. It's, it's basically been uh, understood that the Russo brothers, who directed uh, uh, Captain America: The Winter Soldier, it's basically been conf- you know understood that they will direct Avengers: Infinity War, those that two part Avengers film, uh, and so uh, but but it's, nothing's been confirmed. And uh, some folks caught up with Joss Whedon, and he had this to say: "I couldn't imagine doing this again. It's enormously hard, and it will be by the time I would make Avengers three and 4 a good five years since I created anything that was completely my own. So it's very doubtful that I would take on the two-part Infinity War movie that would eat up the next four years of my life. I obviously still want to be a part of the Marvel Universe. I love these guys, but it ain't easy. This year has been more like running three shows than any year of my life, and it is bonkers. So uh, as much as I am a fan Joe of Joss Whedon I, I really I mean he's going to give us two great Marvel films uh, he's been we're assuming Avengers uh the Age of Ultron is going to be good and I can't imagine it wouldn't be so we're going to assume he's given us two good Marvel films and he's been shepherding the event, Marvel universe uh in phase 2 I'm I'm you know I guess I'm willing to let him have a rest I can't help but be a little bit sad but the Russo brothers also gave us a great Captain America film so I feel like if that uh, is going to be the case, that the Russo brothers direct Avengers Infinity War, I feel like we're in good hands. What what are your thoughts on all this? That's a
1: very good point. I think that Marvel is about as good as uh, they're writing their subtitles, the name of their subtitles of their films as they are at uh, writing interesting villains. (laughs) <laughs> Infinity War, what's with that? The oh, wait, Age of we've, Ultron? We've
0: talked about this before. The Infinity yeah. War actually makes more sense than any subtitle they've ever used because we know it's about the Infinity Gems and the Infinity Gauntlet. I mean, every every Marvel movie has had something about the Infinity Gems at some point in the movie. It's like
1: it's like a name like big lots, though, because it's not war unless you have like a war, which is a series of battles.
0: But yes, there's going to be a series of battles nations. over these things. I, I would I would pose to you that this is going to happen. I mean, so we have – You think that
1: this is going to be like – a? okay, wait a minute. Here's the thing. In all of these action films, they all happen over a weekend. <laughs> so are we really going to get something that's longer than well, a weekend or okay. do we have a war that's reduced to the weekend?
0: First of all, uh, Infinity War is going to be a two-part film. So we know that it's going to take place over more than a weekend. I think we can, we can safely imagine that. It's going to be uh, preceded by Captain America um, Civil War. Um, and, and yes, that is going to be taking place in Phase 3. I think the events in Avengers Age of Ultron is going to be leading up to uh, Captain America Civil War. From what we've seen, there's going to be some internal politics going on that's going to be not good – I think that the titles are getting better. I mean, Age of Ultron. I mean, it. it, I think that's a pretty apt title. And Civil War. I think is is that's actually a title from one of the comic books about the same similar storyline that we're going to be seeing. And Infinity War. I mean, I'm actually happy with these titles. But you're you're obsessing about the titles, and I'm talking about Joss Whedon whether or not he directs it.
1: It's really hard for me to appreciate that Joss Whedon is the only thing that makes us a great Marvel film and great Marvel film. I think that he is brilliant. I think that he has his uh, his special creativity, his special brand, his recipe has been infused into the Marvel studios. I think he has surrounded himself with brilliant people who mm-hmm. are other great creatives that are now plugged into that studio and probably don't want to leave. They, uh, I mean, a great number of them, obviously some of his entourage will go with him to whatever film he was on to make next. But I think that people at Marvel respect his, his efforts and his- his his style his leadership so much i mean he he's made marvel what they are now, come on, so we don't have to worry for the next six or seven years. I don't think I think that we're on a roll now that's so tremendous i mean like from what we know. Guardians of the Galaxy hardly had anything to do with Joss Whedon, or vice versa. Oh, that's versa. true.
0: Sure. Uh, I, yeah, and it was
1: it just—it was just one of their greatest films. Are we concerned about the welfare of future Marvel films, or are we just saddened that Joss Whedon is going to do something else? Because I don't I'm, see why I should yeah, be sad.
0: I'm not concerned about it. I'm just sad that we're not going to be. I, I'm not really sad either. Like, and and you know what's a uh, what is encouraging here is that Joss Whedon referenced that he felt like he wasn't making enough of his own original content, and and that's where Joss Whedon really shines. I mean, take a look at Firefly. Uh, Take a look Mm. at Buffy. Take a look at Angel. uh, Take a look at uh, these things that he's done that were original creations. That's where he shines. So I'm excited to see what he does after Marvel. Um, It's just
1: a reminder to me, TJ, that we're all getting older.
0: No, we are all getting older. That's for sure. Joss uh, Joss Whedon actually used to have hair, and all the pictures of him now, he doesn't have any hair. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway… Uh, Let's see what we have next. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, Jupiter Ascending, and that is based on uh, some of these uh, TV spots that have come out. So uh, let's take a quick listen to a little bit of this uh, TV spot. Hold on! What is going on? Large-scale extinction event. Large-scale extinction event. So it sounds like, in some ways, pretty typical sci-fi plotline, wouldn't you say? Wah-wah,
1: dun-dun-da, wah-wah.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I, uh, you know what, there were supposed to be, that's interesting, there were supposed to be two TV spots in this post, and there's only one, and I only just noticed that. That's TV interesting. spots, singular. Yeah, 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 uh, interesting. All right, well, I'll fix that later. Um so, I saw the one.
1: It was enough for two.
0: Yeah, there was a second one that was shorter. Um it was 30 second TV spot. I I don't know. I um as I said in the the linked article here, um I don't know whether this is going to be a good film or not. And and the the Wachowski brothers or the Wachowski siblings, I'm sorry, I'm very sorry. Uh they they haven't made many good films lately. They made some uh, you know, they made the Matrix and that was good. And I've heard good things about um uh one of their films recently that i never did see I'll have to it look. wasn't
1: cloud atlas no
0: cloud atlas was terrible terrible um so I, I i don't know i don't think this is gonna be any good and i'm bracing myself against it at the same time i want it to be good um so i i don't know what do you think
1: i i think it's just riddled with holes I I am interested in the cast. I'm interested in their production values. I'm interested in their spark of creativity, but I have lost all faith in them. I I think that they are just, honestly, I think they were somewhat a flash in the pan. I think that they had a one hit wonder and I'm not saying they can't pull it off again, but I'm not very optimistic about Jupiter ascending. I think it's going to be an okay day. Uh, for a moderately entertaining sci-fi action fl- thriller. But the problem is, uh, I think that they're going to reduce the characters to sort of like cardboard cutouts for sci-fi entertainment. You're going to have guys that only play one note all throughout the film. And I think that they they probably haven't tried very hard w- to make the screenplay all that great
0: boy it sounds like you've really prejudged this film i've not made oh, yeah. any of these assumptions oh yeah about the film. No, no no
1: i i mean i'm going with my gut here like if i were if i were rolling the dice i would say that this is going to be a belly flop because uh, i've seen enough of the trailers and this is, this feels very uninspired
0: i actually like the looks of the trailers and i would i would have to say that if you say it feels uninspired i don't know where you're getting that from
1: i think that they have a beautiful taste in visual style I think that they're wasting their time making a beautiful image with every frame of the film, and, and what's suffering is the quality of great storytelling.
0: Mm. Well, you and I will—I mean, I'm—I'm going to reserve judgment mostly because oh, I'm, I, I I'm want looking it, forward to
1: watching it. Yeah, I want to see this film.
0: I want it to be good, and so I'm—I'm gonna—I'm gonna hold off on on giving it all that. I, I may after the film comes out. I certainly—I certainly had a lot bad to say about Cloud Atlas although i feel like there was a lot more warning signs with cloud atlas i don't sense i sent some warning signs of this film but not nearly as many as i did with cloud atlas so i have that hope to hold out and they've done it before um i uh I mean it was something like speed Racer or something that i heard that they did that was really good um uh let's see if i can find it here real quick uh and yes, I heard from somebody it is called Speed Racer. That, that that film was really good. Um I know nothing about it. I I would like to see it. In fact, I should put it on my list. But I I I have high hopes. And it, okay, so I have high hopes and low expectations. I think that's a good way to put it. Is that is You that, look
1: up you look up films released in February on Google and you just get a great big
0: empty white page that says ha. <laughs> well, Um, but, but I mean, I think they've been working to turn that around, Joe. I mean, we've seen some, I've, I've seen at least one decent film this, uh, this in February and, or, well, I guess it's January, you know, the beginning of the year. Um, I don't know. I feel like that they're trying to make it less of a dumping ground for bad films, but we certainly do get the bad films in January, February, but I, I mean, I think there's like Paddington was quite the surprise. So,
1: but it was a January
0: film. Yeah, but January films tend to be thought of the same way as February films.
1: I think so. I think, though, that a lot of the January films are sort of a hit and miss, uh, more so than February, which just seems to be more of a rotten month.
0: Yeah, If you say so. We'll find out. Um, there,
1: There's the trash that is laying on top of the trash can and beside the trash can, and then there's the trash that's in the trash can.
0: And that, that's been sitting in there for too long? Uh-huh. <laughs> we shall see. Well, Joe, um... One film that is not coming out in February that hasn't done the trailer, hasn't done much to inspire me is the trailer for Fantastic Four. So let's see what's going on here.
1: How did we get this far? Human beings have an immeasurable desire to discover, to invent.
0: Our future depends on us furthering these ideas. So that was for the trailer for the upcoming film, The Fantastic Four. What do you make of this, Joe? I This trailer did nothing for me. Nothing at all. What do you, what do you make of this?
1: Okay, so Fantastic Four Episode 1 Reboot. <laughs> I think it stands a really good chance because it's Marvel dipping their toes into another kind of sci-fi genre flick. Joe, Joe,
0: this is not Marvel.
1: It's not,
0: this is not Marvel. This is Fox. It's a, it's a Marvel property, but this is the same thing as Spider-Man. I don't know. Is Sam
1: Raimi attached to it? No, no, no.
0: But I'm just saying like, you know how Spider-Man is a Marvel property, but it's done by, uh, Sony. This is a Marvel property, but it's done by Fox.
1: Does it have Spider-Man in it? No. Oh,
0: what what is going on with you and Spider Man? <laughs> I'm kidding.
1: <laughs> it's it's disillusionment. Okay, yeah, never mind. Scratch this one off the list. We're not going to we're not going to review this one.
0: Ah, <laughs> uh, we'll see about that. I see. Here's the thing. I was actually a fan of the first Fantastic Four movie in 2005. I didn't like Rise of the Silver Surfer very much. It was pretty lousy, actually. Um. Now it would it, that that film didn't do so well and it was you know I think that kind of stopped the franchise cold in its tracks in addition uh, Mr. Chris Evans went and got a role as Steve Rogers in another Marvel property and so it would be weird to continue on with him as the Human Torch um so uh, the reboot was really the only option to move forward with this franchise and of course Fox wants a piece of the of the comic comic book pie um there there, are some, there, you know, there, there is some interest on my part from the fact that Kate Mara is in this film, and I like Kate Mara in a lot of things, specifically House of Cards. She's going to be playing Sue Storm. I didn't recognize anybody else in this trailer. However, uh, Fizz posted in the comments, uh, Jamie Bell was in Snowpiercer, Michael B. Jordan has been in Friday Night Lights and Chronicle, and Miles Teller is in Whiplash.
1: I think I saw the silhouette of The Rock in this trailer.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure.
1: Oh, yeah, The Rock.
0: So uh, you don't think this is going to be any good?
1: Nope. Uh, well, okay. I mean, like I'll watch it anyway because I think I appreciate the the basic gist of the plot that they're trying to, you know, sort of uh, you know ride the you know, piggyback on the back of evolution itself, and they're going to say, you know, A bunch of humans go into space, they encounter some sort of foreign energy, it gives them superpowers that are basically mount up spontaneous evolution. They come back. There's somebody else who's been damaged by this form of energy and they got to duke it out with them. It's the same old, same old story. There's nothing wrong with the premise of Fantastic Four. The problem is, is that they were such a product of their times, I think, Mm -hmm. and it's really hard to bring them forward. So the only way to bring them forward is basically reinvent them and leave most things changed besides their superpowers. So it stands to reason that there's a, be- a benefit to having an invisible woman. That is so wrong. Okay, then there is the stretchy man. That's wrong too. <laughs> and then there is the flaming torch boy. Okay, that's bad too. And then you have the rock. Okay, uh, uh, man, uh, is this not just something like st- some sort of stereotypical joke? I mean, it worked for its day, it works for children, but then in the context of modern. Stories, I think that there's not much of a place left for this notion.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, and and the big big thing for me is this: the trailer is pretty much a snoozer.
1: I don't know. Like, I liked the piano. I liked the background music. It was pretty good. Yeah,
0: but that doesn't make a good trailer necessarily.
1: Hmm, the soundtrack is part of a film, TJ. Remember, it can be a character. It, it can I, it can sell it.
0: I agree, but I right. I don't I don't. This trailer is not doing anything for me, so I'm going to close this browser tab. And move on to a franchise that I do care about, which is How to Train Your Dragon 3, Joe. Uh, and, And the news here is that How to Train Your Dragon 3 was pushed to a 2018 release date. According to Jennifer over at Entertainment Weekly, How to Train Your Dragon 3 is just one of many DreamWorks Animation films being pushed back as it cuts down its feature film production from three films a year to two. Restructuring at DreamWorks Animation will focus the studio's production on six films in the next three years, which will include one film and one sequel per year. Kung Fu Panda 3 and Trolls will be released in 2016. Boss Baby and the Croods 2 in 2017. And Larrikins and L- and How to Train Your Dragon 3, originally scheduled for release in summer 2017 and 2018. Um, oh, originally scheduled for summer 2017, will be released in 2018. Uh, it feels to me like pushing How to Train Your Dragon three off to two thousand eighteen is like leaving your best horse in the stable during a, a what appears to be a a volatile financial time. Uh, discuss. You're just quoting your post on I, movie.com. I, I, I rearranged the words a little bit. Hmm. <laughs> I, I
1: I do agree with you, sir. I I feel bad for you know the the ups and downs of business and filmmaking. This is why. A lot of companies feel like they're forced to just create franchise film after franchise film. They're trying to keep afloat a lot of jobs and a lot of big salaries.
0: Yeah, and well, and very there was
1: expensive The tools.
0: follow up news to this is there was a lot of layoffs. Uh, you know, that they, the reason they're doing this is they're apparently financially insolvent. Um, so that's, that's not good news. And, and, and this from the studio that's producing one of the best animated film. Franchises right now, which is How to Train Your Dragon. I know you disagree with me on How to Train Your Dragon 2, but overall, I'd say the quality and the storytelling of How to Train Your Dragon is fantastic, but then you've got stuff like Kung Fu Panda, which I know people tell me I should see, but I just look at that and I go, yuck! And Trolls, and Boss Baby, The Croods, I mean, like, why are we pushing all these films, and we're pushing How to Train Your Dragon 3 off to 2018 when How to Train Your Dragon has been a consistent money-earning franchise? I, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it.
1: Well, it's like the ba- baseball team showing up for the game, you know, and having one star player and he can hit one home run a game, but that doesn't win games.
0: Mm.
1: They, they don't have any other star players. As you've just described, it sounds like they're riding on how to train your dragon, but they can't do that. They have to make their sequels to all these other franchises, obviously, that they're going on with uh, that much better. But mm. if they can't do that, then they need to turn the lights out, pack mm-hmm. it up and go home.
0: Yeah, I mean, I suppose so. I I don't know. I, it's just sad to me that that they're pushing what if this other they
1: stuff. what if they rebooted DreamWorks?
0: No. <laughs> what do you mean rebooted DreamWorks?
1: Can they can they just uh, fire everybody and like get a new business plan in there and start fresh with a new board of directors and call it DreamWorks uh, Origins?
0: Well, it's it, yeah. I mean, it's it's pretty crazy <laughs> that they can't make money. You know, that's just – there's something wrong over there if they can't make money on these.
1: Well, they don't have the kind of power that Pixar and Disney have with merchandising.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They make
1: a huge film for kids, and they can't sell the toys, not like Disney can.
0: Mm. Yeah, I suppose there's something to that perhaps. I mean How to Train Your Dragon, I I don't see a whole lot of toys from that franchise, for instance, uh, the way you do for Marvel films or for – Ah, uh, boy! I was in the store the other day, and the Marvel characters just basically took over a whole row, you know, of Walmart. Um, and you don't see that for for the DreamWorks franchises. That's a good observation. Mm-hmm. So that that maybe that has a lot to do with it. I don't know. But you'd think they'd want to. I, I I don't know. I don't pretend to know how to how to tell these companies how to make money, but they're not doing a good job at it, apparently. So.
1: Now, Steven Spielberg is at the top of their company, right?
0: That might be correct, uh, Steven Spielberg. Let's see. Do 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 do. I I, th- I want to say that's correct. Maybe uh, they
1: could reboot *Faful Goes West*. Ha 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 ha.
0: Steven Spielberg, DreamWorks. Yes, yeah. He's he has something to do with the company anyway.
1: Yeah, he directed Principal *American Tail* and *Faful Goes West*. Right.
0: I'm not sure. Uh, Principal partner is uh, Steven Spielberg is of DreamWorks Studio. So. They
1: need a few better franchises if they're going to do these things for kids ongoing. The Croods, I mean, come on. Oh, TJ. Like, I know a lot of parents who wouldn't bat an eye about taking their kids to go watch something called The Croods, but I know plenty of them who would. And then who wants to buy those toys? Like, you do so – begrudgingly like you would buying cotton candy for all the kids once a week.
0: How to Train Your Dragon, on the other hand, is something that everybody loves. Yeah, pretty much.
1: Yeah. I, I like it too. I just didn't feel especially inspired by the second film.
0: Speaking of stuff that everybody loves, Joe... How about Monopoly? Do you like Monopoly?
1: <laughs> the love of Monopoly is the root of all... No. Um, I was okay with the game when I was a kid. Yeah, I enjoyed it a yeah, lot. I, I watched the older kids play it a lot. I didn't get to play it so much myself, but I, I liked it a lot.
0: Yeah, I enjoy playing it now and again. It's been years since I've played it, but, you know, the, the game That's not is... not
1: something you can play
0: with the kids, right? No, and for sure the, not.
1: The older, and the older generation doesn't really want to play it. No, they we do tend know. to play other stuff. Yeah. And
0: it can be folks, a very long game. But, but here's the thing. M- a Monopoly movie... What, what, what would that even be about? So apparently, uh, according to Collider, uh, Steve recently spoke with producer Randall Emmett, whose independent production company Emmett Furla Films acquired the rights to Monopoly from Hasbro. And during the course of their conversation, he provided a status update on the film. He revealed that shooting begins this summer. A big cast and director announcement is coming. And the Goonies-esque story involves a treasure map and revolves around a bunch of kids being chased by an adult. To which Did I, you watch The Goonies? Uh, I Yeah, I, you know, I have bits and pieces of it in my memory. It's been years since I've seen it. But whenever I see pictures of it, I'm like, oh, I remember watching that as, as a kid or whatever, but I, I don't remember much about it. But I just don't even understand what's going on here. What is happening? What, why would a Monopoly movie be Goonies-esque? I, I don't understand. Do, do you, I don't know. Do why you would you this? make
1: a Monopoly movie?
0: I, that's what I want to know. Who thought this was a good idea? This is this this reminds me of trying to make Battleship into a movie. Like, who thought that was a good idea? It's a stupid game. It's not even a good game. Hmm. Uh, do you disagree? You think that it is a good game?
1: No, no. I, I liked the game when I was a kid. I mean, it's not the best of games. It's sort of like checkers, but mm-hmm. with a cool flair because you know <laughs> they're battleships instead of little round pieces of you know whatever you call that stuff that checkers are made of. Um, I think. That I'm not okay with this film.
0: No, no, there's no way this is going to be any good whatsoever. Not at all. I mean, it sounds like somebody has oh, let's do this cool concept kind of thing, and we'll attach Monopoly to it. Like, just go make your concept. Don't don't attach it to Monopoly. It's stupid. It's weird. And and because you're going to have to shoehorn a bunch of stuff from Monopoly in there, it, none of this makes any sense to me. None of it. Are we going to review that film? I'm not planning on it, but it'll depend on a lot of factors.
1: (laughs) Because you made us review the Battleship film.
0: I'm sorry, Joe. I'm really sorry I inflicted (laughs) that upon you. It was was mostly because, you know, no, got nothing. (laughs) Mm. Uh, All right. Well, I think we can agree that this is going to be a bad film. It's probably not one we're even going to give the time of day.
1: Part of the problem is that there isn't even a story to the game except no. for the experience of the players. And that changes every round. Yes. Like, There's no character association to the top hat, to the dog, to the car, the boot. There's just no association in the form of characters or story. All you have are locations.
0: right? So it doesn't, yeah.
1: it doesn't sound like they're, they're even remotely attempting to relate it to the board game yeah. unless they do something – unless they pull something like Jumanji – and they and have the kids play it a couple of times throughout the film or something, and say some magical incident happened to this particular copy of Monopoly.
0: Yeah, but Jumanji is so entirely different in concept. Like they created a game for the movie. Like like the game was not an existing game. It was like this is a this is a magical game. When the kids play it, they get involved in it, and then it becomes the world until they finish it. And that was such a great concept. And this is like. Here, we have this game where you go round and round a board, and you build up properties, and and you, you pass go, and sometimes you go to jail, and it takes a really long time to finish this game, and we're going to make a movie out of it. You buy
1: properties, you rent out things, yes. you what? flip cards, you get out of jail free, what you pass go. What does a go. treasure None map? None this stuff.
0: What does a treasure map? It's in the
1: movie.
0: Seriously, Joe, what does a treasure map and kids doing a Goonies thing, what does any of this have to do with Monopoly? It does nothing to do with Monopoly, nothing whatsoever. I cannot
1: think of any any association between treasure maps and monopoly historically
0: ever no not at
1: all except for maybe the pirates of the caribbean monopoly
0: that <laughs> doesn't even make oh. any sense joe we should talk about something that we actually did like which is the film that we're going to be talking about today which is paddington so thank here, you tj yes let's let's talk about paddington Hello, I just need to add something to my home insurance policy. Well, what it is, is we have a guest for the night, uh, a bear, and I just needed some extra cover for any... Yes, a bear. Not particularly, mind you. I haven't seen him in the mornings. So this film was released on January the sixteenth, two thousand fifteen. It had a budget, uh, according to Google, because this isn't available on Box Office Mojo, of somewhere in the neighborhood of fifty to fifty-five million. It opened uh, with eighteen point nine million, and the worldwide gross is up to one hundred eighty-seven point one million. The critic consensus is that Paddington brings a beloved characters, a beloved children's character, into the twenty first century without sacrificing his essential charm delivering a family-friendly adventure as irresistibly cuddly as its star. The director was Paul King, who was also one of the writers. Uh, Hamish McCall and Paul King were, wrote the screen story. That must be a British thing. I think that's what we would call a screenplay. And Michael Bond was behind the character Paddington Bear. The stars of this film are Tim Downey, Imelda Staunton, Michael Gammon, Ben Wishaw all playing voice parts. Well, Tim Downey does not play voice parts, but Imelda Staunton through Ben Wishaw, they play voice parts. And then Hugh Bonneville, Sally Hawkins, Madeline Harris, Samuel Joslin, Julie Walters, Nicole Kidman, Peter Capaldi, and Jim Broadbent. The composer was Nick Urata, and I don't remember much about the music, so it was probably neither good nor bad, but served the film as it uh, it did. Uh, Joe, why don't you tell us a little bit about the story here?
1: A young Peruvian bear with a passion for all things British travels to London in search of a home finds himself lost and alone at Paddington Station, he begins to realize that this city and its life is not all that he had imagined, until he meets the kindly Brown family, who read the label around his neck. Please look after this bear, thank you, and offer him a temporary haven. It looks as though his luck has changed until this rarest of bears catches the eye of a museum taxidermist, written by Marmalade Film.
0: All right, Joe, what did you think? I, I was blown away by, by how good a film of the, it was released in February or January. I keep saying at released in January, no less. Yes. I,
1: okay, it was especially good for the first half of the film. I especially enjoyed the first half.
0: I and mean, You said that to me the other day, and I enjoyed all of this film. Like there's literally nothing I can think about in this film that really detracted from it. Like I can't find anything to dislike about this film.
1: Really? So it doesn't bug you how familiar a lot of the concepts and plot points were for the villain?
0: Not not at all, because that wasn't the point of the film. It wasn't trying to be original. It wasn't trying to be uh, something else. It was trying to be a cute, funny story based on a children's book character, Paddington. And it was charming. It was sweet. It had a great story. Um, it had over the top villain. I mean it was it was wonderful I, I I just can't think of anything that I didn't enjoy the entire time I was in the theater, I just enjoyed watching this film and Joe, it wasn't over long it was it was an an hour and thirty minutes. like so many films would be served so well by paying attention to this runtime and saying, you know what we've got a story to tell. We just can't tell it. you know we, we can only tell it in an hour and thirty minutes if we go over that, we're gonna be taxing our audience. And this film was like, you know what? We've got an hour, 30 minutes here. It's solid. It's good. And we're going to call it done. And and that was wonderful. Like everything about this film was just wonderful.
1: I feel like they went a little bit too far with the villain, but I liked everything else about the Brown family. I liked their characterization of the bears. I love how they played up the marmalade. They used it up completely. There was no room to do anything else with marmalade after it was all said and done. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> the The cuteness of the bear. You want to talk about films that are all about the cute factor? It was really here because the whole film they just made the bear so cuddly. It just went into like you know tu- you know tuffle his hair, you know. It just you like him through and through. He he's a very innocent, transparent, um, you know, noble sort of bear that he you know never questions. Anyone, like you know, somebody is a pickpocket in an intake store, and he just assumes that the person actually uh, unintentionally dropped his wallet given this particular circumstance. So he's trying to chase down the pickpocket and give him his wallet back. And uh, you know, the the scenario is kind of audacious, but they just prove the point that it's really hard to find any rough edges to the character of Paddington. He he's just a likable character he's a better bear than winnie the pooh oh yeah he he's he's cute and cuddly like the kittens in a cat meme it's just uh, and that's what the first half of the film felt like it was about it had the charm of mary poppins at times but it also started like it was pixar's up and then it very quickly became about the bears and You knew it like so much of this was just taken right out of a library book. No, it was taken right out of the storybooks about Paddington. And for the first half of it, it just brought Paddington's world to life. One of the downfalls of the Paddington books I remember as a child was that there wasn't a lot to the illustrations. Mm. You would see Paddington getting up on the table, messing with marmalade you'd see him getting up on the counter, moving to the couch, messing with marmalade, going to the door, grabbing his hat and coat and sticking his sa- a marmalade sandwich into something. But, but generally, they wouldn't show much about the environment. They wouldn't show much about him walking you know, the environment around him as he walked down the street. And so you, you all the attention was on Paddington and his props. And you didn't often see other human beings. And so it felt a little bit claustrophobic, like it was just you and Paddington. In what ways can we show a mayor imitating human life? So it left a lot of room for expansion in the film. Sure. And they took advantage of it a lot. They did a great job fleshing out things about Paddington's world we had not seen before.
0: So it sounds like you're familiar with the books where I am not. Um, I uh, I recognize the character of Paddington, but for whatever reason, he was never a big factor in my childhood, and I know nothing of the stories. Would you say that this this either A stuck to kind of the basic outline or storyline of what you would expect from Paddington or and or B really captured the heart and soul of what Paddington is?
1: I think it captures the heart and soul but it didn't necessarily stick to the storylines that we had with Paddington because most of those were much more mellow and and casual. They they were somewhat soothing stories. They mm-hmm. they were prepping the kids for going to to sleep so they would just fill them with happy thoughts and then nothing especially exciting. N- no villains, nothing about uh, you know, cal- calamities. Mm-hmm. Everything was a just a, a, a sort of a silly happening. And then some simple misunderstanding of Paddington's. And then it would be resolved with a pat on his head and him, you know, you know, just a snuggling down with a pillow or right. something. And, you know, it was, it, it was practically nothing to the stories. So it was always just like, a, oh, let's just observe a day in the life of Paddington Bear. What did he do? He got up. He ate marmalade. He took a nap. He took a walk. He came back to the house. He made a sandwich, put it in his hat, and went to bed. You know, and that's sort of what the stories felt like. So I don't even remember all that much about the details. Like I remember stories about the hundred acre wood because a lot of the, it wasn't just about characters. It was often about the plots and there was some really funny dialogue along along the way. And you you couldn't forget what happened at the log. You couldn't forget what happened up in Owl's house and then how, you know, Pooh Bear gets stuck in the rabbit's hole. But those kinds of things never happened to Paddington.
0: Do do you think that the changes or the way that they told the story in the film served the film then well? You, you're you happy with it and you're not like, oh, you know, they should have stuck closer to a, a less eventful kind of a thing that you would have seen in the books.
1: I, w- I was pretty happy. Again, going back to the first half of the film, I really was digging it. At one point, I thought to myself, I wish – I wish? No. <laughs> I wish? I can't help it. I'm stuck. Okay. um, the, I wanted to see – this sort of thing happened to other timeless characters, mm. um, for other franchises. It seems like they're doing this. We got our fingers crossed, but it seems like they're doing this sort of thing for Charlie Brown, and w- you know, we kind of wanted this. You know, when when you update a t- an older film, an older sorry, an older story like a, a a book, when you adapt The Hobbit, when you adapt Lord of the Rings you would like it to f- r- feel very true to the source material, even though you take liberties. Sure, And this felt like it was very true to the source material. There was, they didn't change anything about Paddington. They just set him in the modern world. And that was very good. I liked that.
0: Yeah. Um. So let's, let's talk about the things that we really, you know, obviously that's kind of where we're at is talking about the things that we liked, but I, you know, I have a lot of things about this film that I liked and, and one of the things about this film that I like so much is that it it uh, it looked like they had a lot of fun making this film. Like so many films, take themselves so seriously, and they're trying too hard to um, to tell you uh, a message or to, to to make sure their message gets through and whatever it is they're trying to say. I I don't know that I mentioned it in exactly this way last week, but I feel like to some extent into the woods suffered a little from that because that you know the the they feel like the story is so full of of drama and lessons to teach you and things like it's almost like they suffer a little bit from the heaviness of it uh into the woods might not be the best example because they it looked like they had fun making that too but there are some films you know i'm talking about where they get so bogged down and making sure that you understand the lessons we're trying to teach you that that, that they don't have any fun and this film has none of that this film looks like they had a tremendous amount of fun making this particularly nicole kidman i think and just really relish that over-the-top cartoony villain role um, you know, and I just feel like that this film exudes fun from every pore. Uh, I I don't know how else to to say. Uh, I don't know how else to t- convey to you how wonderful that aspect of the film was. Like you could just tell they just had so much fun with it. Would, would you, That's a very good point. Yeah,
1: the the uh, the cartoony quality about the live action. It wasn't just that Paddington. I mean, if anything, the and the live action people were were. More akin to a cartoon universe, like you would expect from a full-on animated film, the way that they behaved, the, the the way that they ticked. For instance, Mrs. Brown is quite the artist. She's quite emotional. She she yes. likes slides <laughs> a fan fantasy. Uh, she's fun and fancy-free. She just wants everybody to be happy. She's so emotionally invested in everybody. So when her daughter brings home a, a boyfriend, and even before she he she brings home her, her boyfriend. Uh, her daughter is concerned, like, about her mother's response because her mother is going to be geeking out about it and crying to meet her boyfriend yes, for the first
0: yes. time. <laughs> it's so crazy.
1: The, the, in, the intensity, yeah, it, 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 like where they had turned up the knob to just the right amount of, of um, intensity that was more of a cartoon nature – than it was reality it felt like the characters were brought out of a a toy story film mm. that's what it felt like yeah. i right? felt like these characters belonged in the world alongside of andy and woody and buzz mm.
0: yeah that's a good point I, I i totally see what you mean um and, and even though this film doesn't take itself that seriously in, in in what you're describing and what i'm describing where they had so much fun with it Uh, and, and, and in some ways, in a lot of ways, in most ways, this film doesn't take itself very seriously, but that doesn't mean the film doesn't have a heart and soul. Like you really connect with some of the stuff that's going on. You connect with the characters. You, you want things to go well for them. Uh, even when there's, you know, there's not much peril in this film, but there's a little bit of, you know, cartoony villain villainy going on and you're rooting for your characters. You want them to win and they've connected with you and they've drawn you in to their, their little, their what's going on. And, you know, there, there is that moment when, uh, when when uh Mr. Brown um he basically is okay with the fact that Paddington is has left and he's out on his own again and 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 you know you you just sit there and you go no no you can't do that you want him back and you you're a really a good man at heart and you're connecting on that level and i mean just everything about the film you realize you've been drawn in by this film you've connected with the characters uh and it's it's really got you in so in that way this film has such a great heart and soul to it in and I feel like so many films try to go for that and they, they fail to capture you. And this film does it without even trying.
1: Mm. In a lot of ways, this is a 90 minutes children's storybook. So it's really hard to be critical about it because sure. it, Paddington behaves quite uh, like a child. That was one of the reasons that I was especially attracted to it was that I didn't know how that they were going to translate Paddington into the human world because it was quite sensational when they show this uh, film reel the, uh, the for some sort of explorer society mm-hmm. where a of a of a different time several decades ago or presumably decades ago but it's really hard to tell i, I think that they're fudging on uh, historic, a historical timeline in the series this film
0: mm-hmm.
1: oh, that or the bears are a lot older than they look
0: yeah. <laughs> well who
1: knows so, And they have this explorer that went into the jungles of deepest, darkest Peru and he found these uh, sentient, uh, intelligent talking bears and he befriended them and he taught them how to be a little bit more civilized and he gave them reading material and, you know, books on tape and things like that so that they they really adopted a a very human sort of lifestyle he showed them uh, marmalade he gave them marmalade and showed them how to make it yeah so that that's where it became their diet and so this is the basis this is like the the prologue and it was it was taken it was just ripped right out of up it was so good though because i I liked that portion of up and i liked how that i mean like they even showed a waterfall coming down off the rocky slope, just like something out of Up. It was so much like the jungle there. And uh, what they did with how they established Paddington was you need to think of him as a child. He—he rem- His behavior, his p- persona reminded me a lot of my five-year-old son and my six-year-old daughter. mm and here he, he's behaving like a human being trying to fit in, but he's also very naive, but he's very optimistic. And he he's just going to go to London and he's going to be incredibly mannerly and polite and people are bound to accept him and love him and give him a home. And he realizes he he's self-aware enough to realize he's a young bear that needs to be educated and doesn't know how to... Make his way in life, but he thoroughly enjoys the simple pleasures of life, just like a decent child would. And so the response to Paddington from the Browns is much like how they would treat an orphan kid who's just sitting in the streets. And, and Mr. Brown, his antagonism to him makes total sense. Like they totally skip the fact that he's a bear. Yeah, Nobody totally. hesitates to like this bear. I know.
0: That's one yeah, that, I love. It. That
1: was again some of the the wonderful charm of this story, I, it, and one of the reasons you, you just—it's hard not to adore it.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. What, what did you think of the humor in this film? In general,
1: um, ups and downs. Um, British humor sometimes, American style human uh, you know humor sometimes, and then sometimes uh, catering to the children.
0: Mm. I, I thought that the humor ne- it I never felt like it ever went too far. Like, you know, I, I was a concern from some of the stuff going on in the a trailer that it was you know, sp- specifically in the in one of the trailers they showed the whole bathtub water scene and, and, and that was probably the most over the top they got. But I never felt like it was so slapstick that it lost me. Like it never, I was never wanting to crawl under my seat and die. And I, you know, or, whereas, it's just like sometimes on some of this slapstick humor stuff, you, you're like, just stop already. Just let this stop. And I never felt that with this film. I, I don't know. It sounds like maybe you got closer than I did. I, even the bathtub scene that I thought I was going to hate, it's like, you know what? It's, just, you know, this whole film up to this point has just been cute and funny. And it's, it deserves to take a break and take a little laugh. And, and it's completely, not even, not just implausible, impossible that, that, you know, that that door could be that watertight, but, you know, whatever. It was fun. So I I really thought that they did a good job with the tone of the humor in this film. So you, you, you felt that the humor went a little further for you than you would like sometimes.
1: Just a few times when Mr. Brown gets a cover up to sneak into a place to get information Mm. about Paddington's past. It was fun. It was funny. But then they played up sort of this innuendo between a security guard and Mr. Brown, who is dressed up like the custodian.
0: Yeah, you're right. I kind of forgot about that scene. That was a little much.
1: It was awkward, but I know what they were doing. I mean, there was nothing different in that versus what they did with Bugs Bunny and Elmer Fudd in a Looney Tunes cartoon, (laughs) but it still felt a little bit more wrong. (laughs) But I can't say why. It was probably based on taste. And then there was a few situations with um, the doctor, you know, Doctor Who guy. What's his name? Peter Capaldi. Thank you. That he kind of fell for the villain but for no particular reason except that he was like mesmerized by her. So That was the fun part though. He became obsessive about her and I felt like um, I wasn't – I didn't see – uh, yeah, and you're you're right. This is probably just a more of a point of taste rather than a issue with quality of filmmaking. Like um, I didn't expect. Uh, I mean, let's God forbid that anyone dislike anything in a Toy Story film.
0: <laughs> it's not possible, Joe.
1: <sighs> but I'm going to go there. I'm just going to say there are a few particular characteristics of the original Toy Story I wasn't especially fond of. And
0: Joe, can we, we? What? What? We're not
1: reviewing Toy Story, but I'm just going to say it, man. Like there was a few things about the original. I, dude, I loved that movie, but there were a few things I've never specially cared for. And you're dead that, to me. <laughs> wait until we review that film.
0: Dead man talking.
1: <laughs> but in the same way, okay, like different strokes for different folks, man. Uh, that that that's what it boils down to. Sometimes it just doesn't work for me, but it's, it's all based on taste. It's not based on quality. So, um, now can we talk about more of the dislikes? Uh,
0: I want to highlight a couple of things here. Actually really just one thing that I liked and then I'll be done and I have nothing to dislike so you can carry it away. Actually, uh, there are two things. Sorry. I'm, I'm trying to read through my list here. So I felt like the character design of Paddington and the bears was phenomenal. The, he, you know, they they obviously from the illustrations in the book and stuff, he's just a little too cartoonish and you got to in, in order for him to be live action, it has to be more realistic. I thought they struck a tremendous balance with making him look real in the real world and making him still be a cartoon like the balance they struck there was amazing. He looks real. He looks like something you can reach to the screen and touch and that he's in that physical space, but he looks completely cartoonish and unbelievable at the same time. The character design was a. I just I loved it. I thought it was it was wonderful. He was very
1: charming, very charming.
0: Agreed, very very charming. Uh, Recognizable still as Paddington, even so, even though they had to change him a little bit from the from the uh, very hand drawn kind of look that you're used to as Paddington. You could still sell. This is Paddington we're, we're looking at here. So that, and, and just in general, the visual design of this film, like there were the mood changes, like the leaves shaking off the trees on the wall, uh, you know, to show the mood of the home. Like I, I just, I loved all that stuff. They were doing some really interesting stuff with the visual design. Um, there, there was a particular scene. Uh, this is not really visual design, but it gets kind of to the heart and soul of the story and the same kind of feel that all this brought. There's a particular scene where um, uh, Mrs. Bird is describing how mr brown used to be and they're going to the hospital and he's on a bike with his wife you know uh so hugh bonneville and sally hawkins here they're they're zooming down the road to the hospital and she's about to give birth and they're kissing each other and and then and then you know they walk through the doors of the hospital and then they come out and he's carrying a baby carrier he shaved his ragged beard off and he's he's all dressed normally and he's got a normal car and and she's like he's like she's like honey where did the where did the thing go? You know, where did the bike go? And he's like, oh, no, we've got a perfectly normal car. To, careful there. Careful. You, don't come too close. We are carrying a baby here. You know, just like it was it's just that's the sort of humor that I was referring to. And like, I loved all the humor of this movie um, and that all of all this, the visual design, the, the, the design of, of the way they did these scenes. I mean, it all serves the story so well. Um, And then the final thing that I really liked about this film, and I know this is where you're going to completely part ways with me, Joe. I've already – you've already tipped your hand here, is I thought that Nicole Kidman and the villain that she played were wonderful. It was completely cartoony, and it really kept the film from diving off the edge of this super sweet saccharine kind of thing uh, where it just just worked for me. I I really just liked – like I said, it looked like she had so much fun with it. And yes, there was, I mean, it was just, it was completely cartoony and it was wonderful. So feel free to part ways with me there. That that That's everything that I like about this film and I've got nothing to dislike. I literally can't think of a single thing I would say. I really didn't like that about this film.
1: Hmm. How did, how did you feel about some of the, the liberties they took with reality?
0: Um, Such as?
1: They have a few leaps that they didn't explain very well. Going back to the comparison with Up, something about Up is that they strove to develop characters by giving them insurmountable situations where they actually had to push forward and work hard to get through it, and they never made it easy for them. When they created a stopgap, they had to actually work at it to get to the other side. Mm. And they showed you how they had to overcome those difficult odds. So if Mr. Carl Fredrickson has to uh, carry... His house on his back, hung by balloons, <laughs> even though that it breaks all kinds <laughs> no kidding. of physics. At least you see him do it. It's hard and he does it, but you see him do it. And so you believe that somehow through the charm of the, of the magic of the moment that it was done. Whereas in this film, when it gets hard, they just skip it. Uh, what are you referring the, to? All right, so how how in the world did Paddington get from deepest, darkest Peru to London, England? He had his— and a rowboat. To, uh, yeah, she helped him part of the way, and then the rest of the way he got there on his own. But for the most part, they didn't really show their travel— and there was a point where he was basically just like sitting in a simple rowboat and they go from way far away from london to okay we're here in london now
0: so to your (laughs) question what did i think about that stretching the reality there i mean like that's not the only place that that this film is going to stretch reality and you know what it's fine it wasn't really pertinent to the story what were we going to do tell a story about how he got from from a to b and that just sounds really boring let's get to the meat of the story which is him meeting the browns so we've, we've established we've We've established him in the forest and we've in, in, in the same way that up establishes Mr. Fredrickson. And so that's all fine. And and now we're going moving on with the story with him meeting the Browns. I, I thought that was perfectly fine. I, sure. I I think that the films, it would have been to the film's detriment had they gone into more detail about how he got from point A to point B.
1: Um, I I don't necessarily want them to go back then and have that particular portion rewritten somehow. Just think that it's an example of where they don't show the character actually overcoming a real challenge. Mm. They just make it really easy for him. Okay, how do, how do, how does Paddington get there? We don't know how to do that. Okay, well, well let's just like quickly jump to the next scene.
0: But again, I mean, this plays into the. the I liked this film was only an hour and a half, and and if they'd put that in there, it would have been longer than an hour and a half, and it no, would have been too long.
1: You just had to have written in one scene and left something else out. You know, I'm not saying keep both. Just you know, change change what you put into the screenplay.
0: Well, what do you know about filmmaking anyway, Joe? <laughs>
1: i know how to watch a film really good really good i know i know how to sit down in a theater chew on something and say i ain't good enough okay so another another thing that happened later in the film what was it uh the tub scene tub the tub scene was pretty awesome but then I noticed that there was some sort of like illogical situation stuff happening after the tub scene.
0: No, a cartoon in which there was, or a cartoon-like film in which there was a, a logic. Come on, Joe, what are you talking about?
1: Okay, again, even in Mary Poppins, when you allow something to happen that damages property, there's it has a cartoony feel to that film. But sure, you, there's still consequences to bad things happening. Mm-hmm. It, whether it's that adults freak out on you and don't like what you did, or you actually caused some damage to property and you have to fix it and clean up the room. Here was a golden opportunity for a children's story to make a, a, a very charming little lesson for children that was relatable on their level about how, you know, the kinds of things that children have to do that doesn't always have to do with the niceties, you know, like, You created a catastrophe in the house. You allowed the entire bathroom to get wet and you ruined the Brown's house. The kids, Paddington, they never have to do anything. They don't have any responsibilities. Whenever they're at home, they're just goofing off in their rooms and pursuing their own dreams. And that's okay. It's okay to demonstrate that the children have hobbies and pursuits. Like the daughter wants to travel the world, so she's learning another language. And the son, his hobby is building things. So he's got really creative and he's built some amazing things in his bedroom. And he wants his father to join him and do those things with him. But at the same time, there's, you know, they demonstrate that Mr. Brown is a working man, Mrs. Brown is a working woman. And then um, somehow they just get along in their merry way where everything just seems to fall into place and work out easily for them. Going back to up, Carl Fredrickson was always having to pick up his place, take care of his property, and even the boy had to lug all of his gear from the Boy Scouts on his back. There was always some sort of burden upon them where they'd have to handle their responsibilities as well as enjoy the moment.
0: I think you're seems, I just think you're overthinking this a little bit. I mean it's what you
1: know. I'm What I'm trying to say is that this kind of story doesn't appeal to me as much as a sophisticated story like Upwood. Mm. This was just a little bit too simplistic for my tastes. This would bring it down to the level of um my five year old. I think <laughs> that he would watch this film and think, wow, that was so realistic. Daddy, is Paddington real? And he'd ask me that question, and I would say uh... no, but bears are real. And
0: uh, I think you're being a little hard on it, Joe.
1: I'm being hard on this film because I pay good money to see films. And I, when I have seen the potential you can make in a children's film like Up, and then I see this film that has, in spirit, it has all the same charm, but it doesn't have the same values of story and then it feels like I was a little bit cheated because they're they're just uh, making something that works really well for children that works so 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 for the adults.
0: All right, what else you got? Lay it on me, man.
1: I didn't like the the villain especially.
0: Like I knew you were going to disagree with me there.
1: I, I I liked how they staged her background, but then anytime time they had to show her doing her thing at the museum. Even though the museum is a very interesting location, it didn't lend itself to a very interesting uh, uh, scenarios between her and the bear. So while they're trying to, while she's trying to get what she wants, and Paddington is trying to escape, the museum was not a very interesting location that lent itself to their conflict. Mm-hmm. So, it, so again, uh, let's you know use the example of Up. They're in the jungle, they have very interesting locales, they can deal with caves, cliffs, the clouds, high up in the sky on a, what was it, a zeppelin? And they they have interesting locations that lend themselves to some interesting uh, like action sequences. But here, there just wasn't really much going for it. So while the woman is intimidating because she intends to nab Paddington and stuff him i presuming presumably dead, not alive. <laughs> I would assume this. so. <laughs> but then again, she's crazy enough to do it. Um, it just felt like her threat and, and what made her, uh, scary was that she was menacing in her attitude, but she didn't actually get to do all that much. That was menacing, except show that she had a bunch of taxidermied animals hanging up on the wall. It's sort of like Sid. Okay. Here, here, here's another example. Sid in toy story. He has, all, he has created these monsters with his toys. His room is a wreck. You see the bizarrety about this child. But not only does he have a mess all around him and his bedroom is intimidating and dark and scary for Woody and, and Buzz, but then you see Sid do some horrible things to toys. And so you realize just how terrible he is and that the toys have to escape him. Whereas we don't really get that kind of thing from um, Millicent. And and so it's all just a bunch of smoke and mirrors. It's all a bunch of thre- uh, threats and we don't actually see that she can accomplish anything. She, she, I mean, like she had, I mean, and again, it feels like it, it was done this way for politically correct reasons. Mm. She is threatening, but nothing bad ever happens because of her. So for instance, at one point she gets a hold of a live monkey and she intends to do him harm but then later they show that the monkey is fine and she has not done anything with him.
0: So did you want this film to have a PG 13 rating? I wanted a real threat. I wanted to have no. a, a really, I wanted to really be concerned I, for Paddington's life. I for think a the few things months. that you want for this movie, Joe would have ruined it for me. So I'm glad that you it would have made it into a Pixar film. What is wrong with that? Uh, no, I don't think that that would have made it into a Pixar film. I'm,
1: you know what I mean? Like in the Incredibles, there's a, tangible threat to the 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 pars the, the, you didn't have to show um syndrome actually causing people harm and killing a bunch of superheroes mm-hmm. but you knew that he had caused a lot of like real problems for people I, i'm just saying you can do that you can introduce it into a kid film and still make it work <sighs> i feel like i skipped a beat let's go back to the beginning
0: you're going go back to the beginning?
1: Goodness, Joe. Yeah, <laughs> at the beginning of my argument, okay. the, the, the source material of Paddington, there was never any threats. There were never any villains that I can think of. true, true. It true. was all very uh, simple, quaint, and charming. And the kind of thing that you just wanted to read while you were sitting out in the hammock. And you didn't want to think about the problems of the real world. So if you're going to introduce problems of the real world in Paddington's world, then make it really pay off. Like don't go halfway really flesh out a very interesting villain flesh out a very some very interesting scenarios Uh, you know take paddington to the next level and and it didn't feel like they did that Mm. they did a wonderful job with the the browns they did a wonderful job with paddington i just didn't feel like they did any they accomplished any quality with what they did with the villain and she had a lot of screen time are you trying to tell me
0: joe that i shouldn't like this film as much as i do you're not the boss of me.
1: <laughs> Was that in the movie? Was that something the kid said? No. Okay. I'm saying you, sound, to you. You sound like that daughter.
0: <laughs> okay. I, I don't know, Joe. I'm, I, I'm just glad that you don't have creative control over this film because I think everything you're saying you want for this film would make it worse for me.
1: Really worse? I mean, you don't like Pixar films?
0: Uh, I didn't say that. I just don't think what you're proposing would make it more like a Pixar film. I don't think that's what make, p- makes Pixar films good. And in fact, some of the best Pixar films don't have the elements that you're trying to describe here. So I, I, I just,
1: like Cars and Brave.
0: <laughs> nah, whatever, Joe. Everybody to their to their own thing. Like I, I don't want this to be a knockoff of a Pixar film. I want it to be good in its own right, and I feel like it was.
1: I'm not saying that it has to be a ripoff of Pixar film. that's all I've I, heard from you is I
0: want it to be like a Pixar film.
1: No, what I'm talking about is the quality of good storytelling. Mm. Storytelling that works for all ages, that has the – I mean like you're not going to introduce something new under the sun. We have been telling stories for thousands of years. Agreed. And what, and what works for a compelling villain, for a compelling location, for compelling scenarios, for a genuine climax that doesn't – feel fake and forced and cliched. It it still stands. Pixar isn't the only one who has accomplished this. They accomplished this with how to train your dragon. They didn't accomplish it with this. And you know, how to train your dragon wasn't a Pixar film. I'm just using those examples because Mm -hmm. they're very well known. I I think that many, a Disney film has pulled this off. Many a live action film has pulled this off. I don't think it was pulled off here. And, And again, who am I kidding? We're talking. We're talking about Paddington Bear. So you can't, like you said at, at the beginning of your of your points, and I have to agree. I, I've gone really meta about Paddington Bear, and you were pointing out that this isn't a very serious film. But that's not to say that it, they didn't take the story as seriously and you know do a good, make a good effort of it to really deliver some rich entertainment. Uh, they did. Joe. They did deliver some rich entertainment.
0: Joe, I'm sorry you're so wrong. Really? Yep. And, <laughs> okay. Uh, what else you got, man?
1: Apparently nothing. Oh, come on. That That's really it in a nutshell. Like, it, it, as it progressed, uh, I really enjoyed the first half, and then it felt like the second half they were just trying to find a way to create conflict, and then they were trying to create climax, and then they said, happily ever after. And it was that portion of the film that just didn't do it for me. Because it didn't feel true to Paddington. Hey, maybe that's the way to spin this. It didn't feel true to Paddington. Just take it all out. Give us the first half of the film and then the happily ever after, and that would have been enough. Mm. Because okay. that's that was the original essence of Paddington.
0: Well, you know, Joe, there are times when you and I just can't see eye to eye, and this is one of those times, I'm afraid. <laughs> so, you know, good friends, they always have these rocky spots.
1: Mm. Yeah, like an old married couple.
0: Ah, uh, well what can you do i i think that we should go ahead and wrap this up um so i you not put your star rating in the uh in the outline so this will be a surprise to me as well my star rating joe is 4 out of 5 stars because while i can't find anything to dislike about this film it's not like uh it's not like going to be my favorite film of all time i just liked it a lot it was a really good film and i thought that for what it was they stayed true to Uh, kind of their their source material not that i i'm not saying in a way like though they stuck to the storyline or whatever i'm just saying like it was not meant to be a super serious film but it was a lot of fun and it had heart and soul and it's uh it's very cute and i i I highly recommend it
1: and i'll recommend it for uh the family entertainment value for children it's definitely more appealing than i was expecting from any paddington film it looks – the film is better than the trailer, honestly. Oh, yeah. I thought that Paddington looked a little rough on the edges in the animation in the trailers. Mm. Like something about his eyes just didn't look quite look right. But the film paid it off. It really works. All the animation is brilliant. A lot of the jokes are fun. The The charm throughout with the Browns and with Paddington is rich. Mm. So for all of its quality, it usually has to do with characterizations and the setting. I really enjoy this. things, So I give it three stars for those. Things. Oh,
0: Joe, you hurt my heart. You hurt my soul. <laughs> You're hurting my st- very being.
1: <laughs> and Joe's heart was three times smaller that day. <laughs> um, I, I felt like the, where they tried to add to the film to flush it out and make it 90 minutes long with the villain and her ambitions was not paying off and didn't really fit into the world of Paddington Bear very well. It worked okay, but it wasn't the best. It just looked like they were trying to fill up screen time. So for those reasons, it didn't earn more star cred.
0: Well, IMDb users rate the film 7.7 out of 10 uh, as a conglomerate. You want to know something, Joe? The critics agree with me. The critics are at a 98% approval rating. I was flabbergasted when I saw that when I put it in the show notes. I had no idea.
1: And we all know the critics are always
0: wrong to Jace, so you're wrong. <laughs> That's not true. The audience <laughs> is at an 87% approval rating, so kind of strange, uh, interesting thing there. But uh, and it, it is
1: interesting to note that it hasn't done very well domestically. Like most it, I mean, of the the ticket sales are worldwide. Yeah,
0: it's it's a it's I mean it's an English film essentially. So um, yeah,
1: and, and I don't I don't begrudge them enjoying one of their own stories. Yeah, yeah. I imagine a lot of the people in Great Britain were the film the the, the audience, and if they like Paddington so much. Good for them. I'm happy that they they like their material.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, next week we're going to be talking about Taken 3, and I'm wondering if, Joe, you will say the same thing that you said about Taken 2, which is Taken, please take it back. And so I'm hoping yes. this will be Taken 3, please take it back again. Yes. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. I, I I don't have any high hopes for this, but uh, it's it's kind of in between times, and we haven't seen it yet, so what the heck, mm. right? can't we see get a pre-screening of Jupiter ascending that would or be, I would prefer that but uh no I don't think we can We're, we don't have that kind of clout Joe if more people okay. would share this this show and rate it and subscribe to it and download it and we could get you know 50,000 downloads and then it would maybe we would have more clout and more pull in the world but we don't you all are nasty and mean you don't share our podcast with people so that's what you get. Uh, but if if you know if you did, then we could talk about Jupiter Ascending next week.
1: Everybody goes on iTunes and rates us like half a star.
0: Ah, uh, well, we'd have, we haven't we haven't gotten any bad ratings. We just don't have a lot of them. So get out there and, and do your part, people. I know that. Yeah, we, I'm actually
1: yeah. kidding. We've actually got really good ratings yeah, on iTunes. A, thank you, thank all of
0: you. We're a five star podcast. It's just not. It's like thirteen ratings. So take the time and go out there and rate us but next week we will be talking about Taken 3 uh and you know I, here's the thing Joe i expect that uh i don't expect this film to be so horrible that i won't have enjoyed going to see it but i could be wrong i could be wrong we'll see taken 2 wasn't so horrible that i didn't enjoy seeing it
1: i just convinced my bro- my brother not to watch Taken 3 this afternoon and now we're going <laughs> to review it
0: nice well i mean you can't always review the good films so, taking three next week. In the meantime, Joe, where can people keep up with your work, your new podcast, and all these things that you're doing? Uh, and, you know, your, all your success in the world. Where can people keep up with this stuff?
1: All the great podcasts. Yes, I'm
0: the all podcast. the great podcasts.
1: I, I have a new podcast. If you haven't heard about it, it's called Top Brew, and it's at topbrew.fm. That's the website. You can also find it on Twitter. It's uh, Top Brew FM. And it's a weekly podcast with another co-host, Eric Rauch. Uh, he is a coffee roaster here in my town. And we've worked together for the last few years and uh, closely with a coffee roasting company. And uh, we just love coffee. We're coffee enthusiasts. We wouldn't exactly call ourselves snobby coffee drinkers, but we're trying to talk about coffee. You're,
0: you're not Marco from, Arment, in other words.
1: No. <laughs> hmm. Uh, not yet, anyway.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, he's a, I would call him a snobby coffee drinker. <laughs>
1: I'll have to have him on the show someday.
0: Yeah, it'd be it'd be cool.
1: And yeah, we talk about coffee, we interview people, we talk about uh coffee farming, coffee roasting, cupping and you name it. It's going to be on the show. So we just got up episode 3 Wednesday and I feel really good about this episode. I'm learning how to manage the recording process, the microphones, the editing, and boy, TJ, I appreciate you a lot more on this show now.
0: <laughs> well, you, I, I saw you sent me a screenshot. You're using the big boy editor now. You're using Logic Pro. Yeah,
1: and I'm I'm growing some gray hairs you're, you're, because of this. You're
0: using what we we um, uh, audio professionals in the business call a, a DAW or a digital audio workstation, not not that silly old little Garage Band anymore. <laughs>
1: So check out Top Brew and all of the great shows. Uh, you can also catch me, i um, underscore Joe Darnell, on Twitter and my website, JoeDarnell.com, where I talk about all the great things I do.
0: All right. If you want to keep up with me, you can go to Twitter.com slash TJDraperPro and click on the follow button and you can follow all the things that I do there. You can also catch up with the writing that I do. I try to write one review a week. Sometimes I do better than others. I've been pretty good this year so far. Uh, so you can go to moviebyte.com and catch my reviews, and that's also where you will find this podcast. In fact, if you want to get to the show notes, and though it is getting harder to find a podcast client that does not have show notes, if for some reason you can't get the show notes in your podcast client, you can go to moviebyte.com slash mbpodcast slash 124, because this is the 124th episode of the Movie Byte podcast, and that is also a link that you could share with people if you wanted to send them to this show and say, hey, go to the show and uh, listen to it, and subscribe to it. That's where they'll be able to do it. So next week, take in three, prepare yourselves. It could be good, it could be bad, maybe in the middle. And that's what we'll be talking about. In the meantime, have a great week, and we'll talk to you later. See you, Joe. Good night, TJ. All right. Well, hey, there was only one little hiccup with the audio on the Skypes, so that was good.
1: Good, good. Uh, I, I found two little situations where I bumped my mic uncomfortably. I, I left uh, notes at the bottom of the outline. Okay, cool. Uh, did you feel good about the show?
0: Yeah, overall. I, I feel felt a little bit low-key, and I like to be not quite so low-key, but I, I don't know what to do about it sometimes, so I think it was fine. I think we got into a good groove.
1: Sorry. Yeah, I got into my meta groove.
0: Oh, that's fine. I, it's fine. It's just yeah. I, I don't. What I don't like is when that goes on too long. So I, I try to pull you out of it when I can. But it, it it was fine. It's fine to go there. It's just not good to stay there. I don't think.
1: The problem about it is, is that this is no five star film, and you didn't really describe what would have made it a five star film for you. Well, I just don't that think that you this, really liked this film.
0: I just don't think that the the material ever would warrant a five star film, no matter what they did. Uh, yeah, I I, but they, I, they and I have. think I think the reason I like it so much is they took what they they had and they made it really good. And I just it's one of those films. <clears throat> we should I guess I should have said this on the podcast. It's one of those films that you can't. I couldn't find anything wrong with it. It just didn't quite make it up to the five star level. That that's the sort of thing it was for me. I I really okay. enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, it's not so much about what's there; it's about what's missing. Mm. Man, I wish I had said that during the show. <laughs>
0: I can I can do like a tag at the end like like uh like uh people do sometimes
1: <laughs> like like some podcasters do yeah